Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion, my music industry podcast where I talk to a whole host of individuals about their roles within the music industry, about their motivations for getting into the music industry, opinions about what's going on in the music industry and everything in between. This episode is another special episode. Uh, The original plan was to have a 50th episode with a couple of guests, returning guests, but both of those conversations were too good in and of themselves to to chop down to make one one hour episode. So I've separated them out. So we've got a, a special 50th and a special 51st episode of the podcast. This returning guest is episode one's guest, Mike Burgess, a colleague from up in Manchester who has been doing his uh, consultancy work, Sound with Mike, for the past two years. So the conversation was very much talking about the, the first two years of, of his of his endeavour, some of the projects that he's been working on. We also talked about some more heavy-hitting topics that Mike's been active in at the moment. A lot's been going on in culture and society as a whole. And Mike's been a really active person in and around some of these issues. And we talked about that because I think it was a really important thing to get someone's practical experience and knowledge in these things. So hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. There's so much more to talk to Mike about. So I might even get him back on for, for episodes in the future. But for now, here's my conversation with Mike Burgess. What's been happening since last we spoke the last few months have been good certainly the last few weeks have been good mm-hmm. um i think it's one of those things where you know people still have disputes with other people and people are still missing royalty statements and people are still trying to get themselves out of bad deals and people are still trying to get themselves into better deals so yeah. um so in that respect you know i don't think yeah nothing's really changed it's been very much um I've kind of got three things on the go that are pretty full on at the moment that are that kind of thing. Um, sort of two Prius, sort of, yeah, two historic related kind of business affairs messes that need cleaning up. And then one thing that's like a, a kind of a, a new artist that's we're going to do a deal probably with um, Cobalt, like probably by the end of this week. So cool. we're just kind of tying that up. Um so yeah, so it's all good really. Everything's ticking along fine, and I sort of a sort of semi, you know, blessed position to be in with respect of um, COVID. So I'm, I keep saying this to people. It's like I sort of feel slightly bad being like <laughs> I've got stuff to do yeah. because I appreciate it's a difficult time for yeah, a lot yeah. of people. So. Yeah, it's I I, I suddenly realised that it's so just over two years since. Mm. I came round to your flat and we had a chat about everything yeah. pre prior to that date. Yes, yes. And it was you hadn't quite launched, or mm, you just no. launched. It yes. was kind of a week old. So two yeah. two years on, mm. 
has it has the sounds with Mike stuff gone the way that you planned for it have you seen yourself drifting into different areas have you noticed things that you were or weren't expecting along the way Hmm. Kind of give, hmm. give, kind of let, let's just give, give me the give me the lowdown yeah. on the last two years, I guess. No, all good. I mean, I think Sam with Mike started life as a, you know, an advisory service for creative people, and I think, you know, in effect, it is still that. You know, um, whether you are or whether one is needing. Um, sort of strategic support, marketing support, or whether they're needing more like, you know, business affairs related support. Um, it, you know, in many respects, they were the two areas of focus when it started up and they are still the two areas of focus now. So it's quite interesting. Yes, you know, over the two years, the focus initially of just doing sort of one-to-one -one consultancies, predominantly with artists, songwriters, producers, um, has shifted a bit, but not wildly. Um, no. I think I now have more clients who are managers. I now have more small labels that are clients um, that might, again, they might just need an hour here and an hour there in respect of some feedback on something or some support on something that they're just having a bit of a head wrangle with and they can't quite work out a decision. Mm -hmm. um, but then, yeah, um, but I guess it is still all, you know, advice for small creative businesses, you know. Um, and I, yeah, as I said, I think those two areas still very much feel like areas of focus, the sort of strategic marketing focus and then the more business affairs-y stuff um, is pretty much where we are, I think, still. When you when you set it up, did you feel like mm -hmm. it was going to be something that would eventually turn into something that labels would take on board more than independent artists? Well, I think like anything, isn't it, with any new business, you just have to sort of, put the thing live, have a business plan and, you know, do your best to sort of work within that for the first 12 months. I think, you know, usually within the first eight or nine months of any business, whether it's, you know, me as an advisor or, you know, somebody setting up a, you know, a small label or as an artist, you know, you've got to adapt and you've got to look at, you know, progression, mm -hmm. whether you're looking at return on investment, whether you're looking at, you know, on KPIs or whatever it is, you know, like how have I performed? How has the business performed? Do we need to make some adaptions? And I think, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was very interesting because very early on, I remember speaking to, uh, I met the um, a senior business affairs person at um, what is, you know, a pretty major sort of top five UK based management firms. I, I ran into them and was introduced to that person through somebody else, through a lawyer. And this guy immediately said, oh, you could be really useful to us because they do have a label as well, but they're predominantly a management company. But he said, you could be really useful to us because um, we, when we're kind of letting artists go, we always sort of feel like this, oh, like kind of we're sort of terminating a management relationship or terminating a label relationship and often sort of like kicking them out into the cold. Mm -hmm. And he said, you actually potentially be a really useful asset to sort of, you know, we pay you to deliver some sessions with them as a sort of like a, almost like as a sort of within the sunset clause. It's like, you know, you've got a certain oh, okay. amount of time with Mike in that sort of post you know, commission post working um, period. 
And whilst we've not revisited that, it was that thought of like, ah, yes, I can be quite useful to quite a lot of people here, um, you know, scenario and situation dependent. So, yeah. So have have you kind of waited for people to get in touch with you or have you kind of gone through contacts that you know and people that you've got kind of with that in mind, with this idea floating around in your head thinking maybe I should be reaching out to a few people yeah, I both. to see? I mean, it's often the way, isn't it? It's like when, like when any business is successful, profitable, you're busy, you know, you just do what's in front of you and you you know, the work comes and word of mouth happens mm-hmm. and bits of return business, you know, return. Um, and certainly the second year has felt quite like that. Um, I think year one was quite, yeah, you know, reconnecting with people, showing them the offering, explaining what the proposition of the business was. And then it was kind of like, you know, yeah, there was year one was quite pursuing, for want of a better phrase, cold leads, you yeah, know, yeah. Trying, to, trying to, you know, turn them into, warmer leads you know um but then year two has been much more um yeah just kind of i I, i'm somewhat established Mm -hmm. i have some good professional relationships which equal you know word of mouth and oh maybe speak to mike have an hour with him um i think very much like the artist community that i'm in in terms of sort of the the sort of you know and it, it varies from sort of you know major label signed acts to independent acts of diy acts you know um i get quite a lot of word of mouth through those guys you know it's like oh mike was quite helpful with this and i don't know somebody's somewhere being like i've got this thing and it's like oh well you know speak to mike and mm-hmm. so that's kind of nice so yeah i mean it, it, you know i am looking at some new things and we can kind of touch on them in a bit but i'm okay. looking at some other ideas in terms of sort of um where i want the business to go sort of like as we go into year three um but at the moment yeah i mean yeah you're right i mean year one there was an element of of um going a bit harder you know on, on a marketing level um but there still wasn't any um i didn't do any paid social i didn't do any kind of traditional paid advertising mm-hmm. um funnily enough i am probably going to plug some of that in perhaps to some some other bits that i'm going to run going into year three but that's um more about kind of courses and kind of online short courses and that kind of thing where you know some paid advertisement might be sensible um but yeah i mean it's predominantly just been um yeah getting on a train going meeting people catching up with people while i've been london meeting people through other people you know that usual old thing in london where it's like someone's finishing up a meeting and you're five minutes early and you end up accidentally meeting someone that you didn't intend to meet and then you know no, no, no. always like, arrive early because then you can meet the person that you're <laughs> that you're after well that's it yeah. that's it so um yeah Are you are you in a position to talk a little bit in a bit more detail about some of the people that you've worked with at all? Any interest? Talk about yeah, certainly talk about scenarios. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and kind of shout outs for any kind of great artists that you've been hearing yeah. or you know labels that are kind of doing some some interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, It'd be really of course. Good to hear some of the the nitty gritty that you've been getting yeah, up yeah. to. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, at some point, I'm gonna I'm going to elaborate on this example um, that I'll give you. But this is something that I'm dealing with at the moment. This is quite an interesting scenario. Um, so, 
you know, generally with like clients, I'm trying to kind of, they remain confidential in that space, but this is a, um, a former sound engineer who is, he still engineers. He, he runs some online courses and does bits and pieces now, and he's, um, approaching retirement age. And he came to me through his accountant who I do quite, quite a lot of referral work with and for their clients. Uh And, uh, he was, um, an assistant studio engineer on a on a fairly big uh, Rolling Stones record okay. in the eighties, and um, at the time was asked to perform um, as I suppose how we'd look at it as a non-featured performer in sort of PPL language, um, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. He was asked to perform. He was asked to um, put some hand claps <laughs> on a chorus of a fairly well-known Rolling Stones record, um, and he didn't realize until 30 years later that he was due non-performance royalties. So I have been working with this guy for about 15 months, probably back and forth emails on and off. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was one of those things where his accountant said to me, I've got this guy who's got this problem (laughs) and we don't know what to do with him. So I said, okay, like, let me have a look at it. Uh Um, And in short, yeah, you know, PPL have a statute of six years. Past that, they're not interested in, you know, what what's lost, basically. Um, depending on who you speak to on what day, the money that could have been yours, here's, here's what you could have won. Yeah. Um, yeah, the money that, that could have been yours is usually paid to the rights holder um, after six years passes. Now, in this case, that would be either the company that owns the master rights or the company who's licensed the master rights from Uh the rights holder. In this case, the Rolling Stones, their catalog is owned by their company, which is called Promotone. So I'd hazard a guess that that money is now there somewhere in the ether, Um, or it's with, I think currently the catalogs with Universal or most of the catalog, I think is with Universal. Um, So it's, it's somewhere. It's not with him. Um, So I have spent probably more hours than I would have liked to um, writing letters and emails and sending things via recorded delivery and, you know, this sort of thing to various parties involved with said group um, to try and open up a dialogue about, you know, whether there's a conversation to be had re, you know, missing Mm -hmm. money um, or probably a more appropriate way of putting it is is sort of unclaimed yeah so yes so i've been doing that and slowly slowly getting somewhere some doors open some doors are not open um (laughs) and one of the things that i realized with that is that actually when you own well not when you own when you have some form of stake in a master recording of that nature mm-hmm. which is a you know, a legacy track it's you know recording history whatever you want to look at it as um that actually there is money to be found or made or gained um if you think a bit more outside the box and mm-hmm. i sort of thought well hang on a sec. you know i was talking to a friend of mine he's a an, another business affairs advisor you know there aren't that many of us but it's somebody i work with quite closely on certain things and we were talking about this and he said well hang on a sec you know surely there's some kind of neighboring rights deal that you could do 
with respect of going forward. And I was like, well, that's a really good point. It wasn't something I'd been focused on at the time. It sort of vaguely mm -hmm. passed through my, my brain at one point, but it wasn't something I was particularly focused on. Anyway, um, I'm now very pleased to say that we're doing a, probably by the time this comes out, we will have done a, um, a decent um, advanced deal with um, a major publisher who have an NR department and they have, um, they don't know any of this, by the way. So at some point, if anyone from said publisher actually watches or, you know, listens to this <laughs> podcast, they're going to understand why I came in the way I did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as in any negotiation, you don't reveal your hand. You don't go in and say, I've got a client who's basically financially ruined. Um, and this guy isn't in a good, you know, and he, he would admit, you know, his finances aren't good um, and he's not in a great position. Mm -hmm. And that's not due, you know, to be clear, that's not due to this. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. due to being a self-employed um, creative in mm -hmm. the music industry and, and trying to make, you know, make that work as a 40, 45 year career. Um, so obviously that wasn't like a, please, sir, can we have a neighboring rights deal? <laughs> I've got mm -hmm. somebody who's in dire straits. It was just like a, you know, we have a stake in a in a major historic recording from said artist, and we think that this is worth a conversation. Are you interested? And they, several publishers obviously were interested, and um, a certain major three publishing company came back and went, yes, and we will give you the advance that you want. Okay. Um, so we are at least, I feel very pleased to have been able to secure him you know, what effectively is a five-figure advance on that, which at least I can sleep at night knowing that this guy's, you know, got some money to sort of see him through to retirement. So that's yeah. quite a nice example. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's and it's also something you said, like 15 months worth of work mm -hmm. as well. So it, as in, yeah. it's not something that you kind of, you jumped on, it didn't really work out. And then you kind of go, well, tried, better move yeah, on. It's, it's th th these sorts of, yeah. of relationships that you're building is is something that are I guess 100%. not 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 long term in the same way as a manager or an accountant no, is no. but in the same wheelhouse yeah that's it I mean that sort of stuff that's an that that particular scenario is an interesting one because I've had sort of two realizations I mean firstly you know I'm I'm pretty anti-taboo around money anyway I always kind of have been unless it's someone else's money where mm -hmm. I don't then talk about it but you know in respect to my own money I mean I I've I decided with that scenario to do that on a commission basis and I don't I don't work on a commission basis I'm not a manager mm -hmm. so I I don't do that I bill by the hour and that's how I work but that was a scenario that was that connected with me and I thought well this guy's never going to get any money like it would, if, if I bill him by the hour up until the point we see something from these sort of unclaimed royalties it's going to cost him a fortune and I can't guarantee him a return. So mm -hmm. with that particular scenario, um, it, it was a commission basis. Um, and I haven't made a habit of doing that since in all fairness. Um, but I think as, as you know, um, anyway, I occasionally jump on things where I feel, feel some empathy with that individual. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, this is a scenario in which I, I wouldn't want to be nearing retirement age, in a financially difficult position, feeling like I've lost out on tens of thousands of pounds, you know, yeah, yeah. like I, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. So I just thought, well, this is a scenario in which I have the contacts and I have the expertise to try mm -hmm. and help this person. So what, what, why not? You know, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. You know. But and also I think 
when you are going down a kind of a freelance for want of a better word angle you you've got the freedom to play around with how you how yes, you, how you, how you to... get paid at the end of the day it's yeah. something that i'm looking into yeah. as well is that it's i know it, it's it's often better to work on okay well give me 10 percent of your rights sure. because in the short term that might mean nothing but in the long term that might mean lots 100%. but then on the flip side yeah. of that it might just be easier to go you know what if you engage with me for x yeah. hours yeah yeah, yeah. you yeah. keep yours you mm -hmm. just give me what i feel like yeah. I, and you and you work based on what's best for for the project but 100 i mean in the same scenario i had an email from somebody today at prs who said that we were talking about one client and they made reference to another client that i have and they said you know, they, they know that I represent that person and this is an artist who doesn't have a publisher. Um, and they know that I do a lot of back-end administration work for that, for that writer. Um, and he said, oh, they've got a really nice looking July statement coming, you know? Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's great. I said, you know, that doesn't influence me in any way because I'm not commissioning that, you know, I, I bill that, that client an hourly rate and, you know, I mean, that actually, again, I can't, unfortunately say who it is no no, but no, no, is no no that's fine a big uk artist um in the kind of hip-hop world and since i've got involved with them on a publishing level of doing what effectively the role of what a, a publishing administrator would do and just making sure that all the data's matched up and actually that live performance reports are going through and mm -hmm. you know we're chasing down missing you know, radio money and digging around in the unclaimed bin you know trying to find bits of stuff that's spelt wrong that actually should have been, you know, spelt right. You know, and dealing with counterclaims and all the headache that comes with that stuff, you know, his revenue has, I don't know, he must have seen the 25% quarter on quarter revenue increase since I've been involved with that. And I know that, you know, the biggest quarterly statement that this artist had had in, I don't know, three years, probably prior was about 1500 maybe 1700 quid in a quarter and i kind of looked at this and went this artist's like big like this like it's not like kind of massive playlist no, yeah. but you know does a lot of streams and gets reasonable radio play and i thought well hang on a sec something's missing um, and quite a lot of stuff was missing and you know they've done is that just i don't know was three just... grand last quarter and okay. you know I su suspect we'll be on for a similar for this quarter, you know, and so, yeah. Was was that just discrepancies from his end, from from not really understanding the processes? Or yeah. is it other people's mistakes that you're... Okay. A bit of both. I mean, there was a, there was a major title that he was on um, that... Uh, oh, am I mixing this up with another client? I can't remember. I don't think it was. I think he'd done a feature on somebody's track, and right. I think the publisher... Who was the feature? Uh, he was the feature artist on someone else's track, mm -hmm. and the publisher of the main of the lead artist had put him on it. So when you went to find the, the the registration through PRS, it existed, and his name was against it, and the tune code was there, and mm -hmm. it was generating revenue. But there was the tune, um, the CAE against his name was like nine zeros. I was like, right, that's if you didn't know what to look for, you would assume, well, my name's there, my split's there, I'm getting paid. And I was like, well, hang on a sec. Yeah. Nine zeros equals no CAE. <laughs> yeah. So that's a simple case of 
let's get the CAE amended. And Something's then happened in, in yeah. the back end of someone's 100%. typed in something and assumed... Just someone's cocked that, it up, yeah. exactly. And these things happen, human error, whether it's, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was just a case of, you know, speaking to PRS and saying, listen, there's a payment that there's several payments that have been suspended because you don't know who it's got to go to. Well, you do, but your systems don't know. Yeah. Um, and this is just a simple case of like, please give me that money and let's pay it through in the next quarter and mm-hmm. all good. And, and we got a really nice kickback on that. So I've, I've been doing that for probably a year, maybe that client. And again, as I said, there's been a subsequent, a real uplift in, in earnings. And again, I've got three, four, maybe five people like this that um, who either don't have management or they do have management, but they choose to sub that work to me. Yeah. Um, they don't have a publisher. They are very, um, rights orientated in the fact that they want to own their own stuff. Um, and I see that more and more and I like that. And if I can help those people to make sure we're at least on top of that. Mm -hmm. And actually if it's only, I mean, I can never guarantee because it depends on how much work that needs to be done, but by and large, you know, it's not costing them. I don't know. It can't be costing them much more than like 10% maybe 15% of what they're getting in anyway. So, I mean, I'm still probably coming in around about the same amount as an admin deal would be anyway. But the fact that they've got, like, it's me, and it's me and I can be phoned and emailed and, you know, whatever. And it's just like, I'm not there in the background all the time, but I'm there when required. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think particularly for the artists that I represent in the hip hop community, they like that and that works really well. Um, and I've got a couple of people that are more like kind of indie folk that I do that for as well. And again, just seems to work quite well there, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, but then equally, you know, there's been other things where we've done, um, you know, with the support of lawyers, we've done, um, we're about to do this deal with AWOL for an artist. Um, yeah, and there's been other things, did a fairly big deal with B, sort of help put together the sort of, big deal with bmg before christmas which was nice for another writer so mm-hmm. it's been a really good year you know from a perspective of um seeing artists writers you know do great things which is really what it's about it's just about yeah. seeing you know that fulfillment of potential and and financial renew, you know remuneration mm-hmm. for their for their skills that's that's the thing man One of the other things that I wanted to ask you about, because we haven't really mm. spoken about it ourselves, and also I think it's it's something that, yeah, I think a lot of people should learn more about is what mm. you, the work that you did with Owen Hazley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was there was a lot going on there, musical, <laughs> musically, non-musically, and things like that. I think it's yeah. a, it's a really important thing to to hear about if if you have sure, yeah, yeah. and and I, I i would love to kind of not necessarily hear the yeah, yeah. The, the the full gamut of it that's probably uh, several <laughs> yeah. podcasts probably on, on, on its yeah. own but it'd be really it would be really interesting to just hear a little bit about kind of what that project sure looked like where it where it's gone yeah, yeah, to yeah, and all that sort of stuff yeah i mean you know it, it's it's interesting um I think again, if you if you go back to what I was saying about um, 
the client who's involved in this Rolling Stones record. You know, I think what I did with Owen was a similar thing. And it's interesting because the point I was going to make but forgot to make, and this is quite a nice linking point, is that the, yeah, the, (laughs) the, I'm starting to see that there's a link between the work that I do outside of music and the work that I do within music. There is a quite a common link, which is that the thing that links it is that I'm interested in protecting people, you know, and their rights and whether that is their literal master rights, publishing rights, or whether that is their human rights, you know, there is a, there is a theme Mm -hmm. and that is just um, about, you know, about the protection of people and and what they're doing with themselves, you know, and Owen's scenario was in short for anyone that doesn't know about this, you know, Owen's a 46 year old man who was born in Jamaica and came to the UK aged four with his mum and his sister. Um, They arrived on a Jamaican passport um, and at the time were given indefinite leave to remain, which again, for anyone that doesn't know, this is a sort of immigration status given to pretty much any foreign national um, that would have arrived during that time, um, which in effect means that you're you're good, you're okay, you're fine. and at various points in life, after you've been in the country for X amount of years, you have an opportunity to apply for citizenship or try and get a British passport, whatever it is. Anyway, um, Owen never bothered to get a British passport. Um, he had a Jamaican passport and all, has always had a Jamaican passport. He's traveled to America on a Jamaican passport. Um, so he has left the country previously. Um, his dad's living in America, his mum was in the UK. Um, he doesn't have any family in Jamaica. Um, and in, from memory, 2015, um, Owen had a situation with the partner of his, his former partner, who is the mother of his children or two of his children. Um, and the police were called in respect of a domestic situation. And um, his partner at the time um, didn't want to press charges but the police wanted to press charges. And to be clear, I absolutely believe that that's the right thing to do in that scenario. Um, I think that that change in legislation was absolutely required to protect women from domestic abuse. And I fully support that situation happening as difficult as that is to say. Mm -hmm. I think that that scenario, you know, that, you know, it it needs to be, you know, looked at. So, um, yeah, so he, he served a, a prison sentence, which was just over 12 months um, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, at some point during that time that he spent inside, was told by somebody visiting from the Home Office that he was um, basically eligible for automatic deportation. Um, having not got a British passport, um, Although I have heard stories that even if you do have a British passport, the Home Office can still make your life absolute living hell. Um, Anyway, so this was sort of 2016-ish, something like that. Um, Because the sentence was just over 12 months, that's what triggers the automatic um, deportation order, Mm -hmm. essentially. And this is a policy that was drafted up by Theresa May when she was Home Secretary called the hostile environment. And that's a phrase that gets used a lot. 
probably more so since the Black Lives Matter movement really kind of take, well, took off in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly something that's, if you look, it's been banded around a lot in the last 10 years. Um, so yeah, basically, I didn't know any of this. Um, and I've known Owen 10 years. I know him as a musician. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He is very prolific in the drum and bass scene. Um, I've seen him play at Creamfields and Kendall Calling and, you know, he's played with Jason Status. He's done a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and to sort of coincide with that, he's been a youth worker in Greater Manchester for 10 years. He's probably worked with over a couple of thousand young kids. Um, he is one of the most positive people I've ever met, you know, and um, I, whilst I had, you know, I had to think about when, I real basically when I realized he was being deported, I had to take a second and think about, you know, based on what he'd been charged for, was I okay with that? And what was my feeling on that? And my feeling remains the same, which is that if I or you or anybody else who is white and has a British passport um, did that, then we could keep doing that. We could be a serial offender and we could continue to domestically abuse our spouse or whatever. And there is no way we will ever be deported. Mm -hmm. Um, And people make mistakes. And I believe from, um, there was a moment where I realized that actually, yeah, I'm okay with this, which I'm I'm okay with helping to be clear. when I rang the probation service who had dealt with him when he was released from prison and I spoke to a woman, an elderly lady who answered the phone in Crewe or somewhere. And um, she was very, very nice and very polite. And I said, hi, I'm trying to get hold of X person who's a probation officer or former probation officer of Owen Hazley. This was some years prior. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, I remember Owen. I said, oh, right, okay. Said, have you worked there long? She said, yes, I've been here you know, a number of years. She said, I remember him. He was very polite. And he used, every time he used to come here, he'd always ask me how my day was and how I was. He was a lovely, lovely guy. And I said, oh, right. So that's very kind of you to say. I'm trying to track his probation officer now. Anyway, and it was sort of th- that plus my own experience of, you know, having known him for 10 years. And I just thought, yeah, this, I, I need to sort of do what I can, mm-hmm. you know. And this was five days before he was due to be deported. Um that there was a Facebook petition kicking around with about four or 5,000 signatures on it. And I just thought, yeah, you need volume. <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to get any sort of, you know, media attention, you're mm-hmm. going to need some volume on that. So, you know, I managed to find out he was set this up and, and sort of stepped in and gave him a bit of a hand. And at the time, um, this was um, what were being referred to uh, as the Jamaica 50, and there were 49 other um, men of Jamaican heritage who were due to be deported um, at the same point, which is February the 6th, 2019, mm-hmm. um, that the government had rounded up from various parts of the UK. Now, bearing in mind, you know, the, the government presented this, Sajid Javid did at the time, he was the Secretary of State, they were presented as serious criminals. And, you know, there were there were some serious criminals within that 50, but it was, from, from what I understand, it was a minority. And again, how one defines serious criminal. Yeah, yeah. But there were people there with the serious driving offences, drug offences, domestic abuse offences, um, you know, and yes, there were people um, with much more serious offences, but there were a number of people that possibly hadn't been given a second chance. 
uh, well, possibly you could, one could argue none of them have been given a second chance, but I'm not going to get into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's more the point of yeah, he he was in a situation which was needed some help, and it just felt to me like let me see what I can do, and it was just a case of let me manage your media, you know. So I'll step in and I'll deal with you know his phone was he was being inundated on this little kind of burner phone that he'd been given whilst he was in immigration removal center, which is effectively the the place that they detain you before they deport you um and they're horrible they're full of rats it's you know he owen witnessed two people trying to commit suicide during that time um a guy jumped off a third floor balcony with a, a sheet wrapped around his neck and owen had to shout down to get some guys to hold him up so he could run upstairs to try and untie this knot you know this brutal you know brutal environment to mm -hmm. be in any, any human being and um so i was probably on the phone to him about every 20 minutes for about four days and I didn't sleep much during that time and but we had a deadline and we had to try and you know get that removal halted you know and um we were fortunate in the fact that I was able to help kind of manage that the media fever around mm -hmm. his case um and we had every major news outlet in the UK talking about it and he was happy to be interviewed in you know most magazines newspapers news channels um we managed to get Lucy Powell, who's who still is the Labour MP for Central Manchester, to raise it in Parliament. Um, and you know, when Owen's lawyer was doing what he could do in the background, and yeah, we basically halted that removal. Um, so it was a you know a small win really in that respect. Yeah. And I think that was one of those scenarios where you think, well, I didn't think too much about it before I started, but it was just one of those realizations of. Hmm. I've got skills as we all do. I genuinely believe that we all have the skills to help people. It's just a case of whether we choose to, you know, yep. engage them and, and, you know, whether there's a, a situation or a friend, perhaps, you know, I think mm -hmm. it has to start with that. Somebody that you know, that's, that's in difficulties and whether that's, you know, somebody's house is about to be repossessed or, or, you know, somebody's going to court and they don't really have the information that they need or something like Owen's case, you know, it's quite extreme, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I've been saying this to people. I think, you know, it starts with, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit just like love thy neighbor a little bit, you know, it's just yeah. like, you know, who is around you and who needs help. And I think possibly interestingly enough, like COVID has actually shown us all that we need to be, a, have a bit more humility and be a bit more that way inclined. So I think, you know, it's been an interesting one to work on. And, and just to be clear, that is a, that's an ongoing situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Owen's removal has been halted, but we are still really not any further down the line in terms of um, that deportation order being cancelled. That's still very much active, and mm -hmm. because it's active, he has no right to seek meaningful employment, no right to seek benefits, housing, um, any form of NHS access, um, unless it's sort of in emergency primary care. Uh, he doesn't have the right to drive, doesn't have the right to vote, and obviously can't leave the UK because he's had to... Um, you know his passport is controlled by the yeah. home office so in effect he's you know i don't use the word um lightly but he's, in effect he is stateless you know he's, he's not anybody's for want mm -hmm. of a better phrase and um i firmly believe that the home office put people in that scenario to make them mess up you know because right. if yeah, you yeah. cannot earn any money to support your family what are you supposed to do you know yes so there's a question there which is you know that I think it's a system that is geared up to, if you are saved, if you are, your removal is halted due to public support, legal 
work, media support, whatever mm-hmm. it is, that they then put you in this limbo. And the Anthony Bryan documentary that was on BBC One recently is a very great dra- dramatized example of that. Mm-hmm. You know, of you can't do anything. You feel like shit. You feel like you've been completely dehumanized, completely de- you know degraded. Yeah. Um, and it almost put you know. It, I could completely forgive anyone in a situation that did go out and do some madness because they needed to somehow, you know, provide for their family. And that's in that scenario, then the home office will come down on you like a ton of bricks and go, well, we told you you were criminal. So get on the plane and, and mm. you, you're done at that point. Yeah. So it's very difficult. So yeah, that's in the most roundabout way I can make it. <laughs> that is that. <laughs> You, you mentioned year three of of your uh, project yes. yeah, yeah, and yeah. what's yeah. ahead. Has has that experience? And you mentioned like that you you've kind of what you do professionally and that side of things. There is they're joined in the Venn diagram somewhat. Yeah. So has that experience yeah. influenced the future and certain, yeah, I think so. certain things I think for so. year I three mean, and beyond? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's just that thing of um, you know. It's one of those things, isn't it? You know, you understand that points that you're at capacity. And I think it's taken me a couple of years to understand what the parameters of that capacity kind of look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, doing something like what I did with Owen um, was incredibly draining and incredibly time consuming, but I wouldn't change it for the world because, you know, it needed to be done. Um, and I think what that scenario has just reminded me is that, you know, there are people in the music industry um, that need support. And I've recently stepped into a situation with an artist who, I'm going to say this, and anybody that's in the know will figure this out fairly quickly who this person is, but um, somebody who has fairly recently publicly um, explained how traumatizing being on the X Factor was. Um, and as a person of color, what that experience was like and the unconscious bias and racism that they felt in that scenario um, and how that has effectively impacted on them on a day-to-day basis for the last eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's situations like that where, where you get that call or you get that message from somebody going, not kind of help because that wasn't the message, but it, I, I kind of, I could read between the lines and I was like, yeah, you're going to need someone who understands to a degree what your rights are and that is sort of empathetic to your situation. And, you know, that felt to me like one of those things where I was like, I need to do something to try Mm -hmm. and help. And at the very least, just be a voice on the phone, you know, and just be somebody who's there for that person and, um, you know, try and help them get, try and help them get back on their feet because to have been shook by something like a television experience Mm -hmm. for that amount of time is deeply disturbing really that this industry is is creating scenarios like that um so yeah in in short yes i think um it's one of those things where one it is unclear how one will get paid from doing that work um and we've all got bills to pay but i'm fortunate in the sense that i'm doing reasonably well of being able to balance for want of a better phrase like pro bono type work with stuff that does pay me mm-hmm. um 
and I don't have a great deal of time to do anything else in, in life. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that might be nice at some point, but at the same point, you know, whilst um, I do have the energy and I like helping people, then yeah, it feels yeah. like a kind of a, a logical thing to do. So yeah, I definitely think to, to answer the question in a long-winded way, I think going into year three, yeah, I probably will end up um, I think my reputation has sort of grown in that space as well anyway, not necessarily intentionally, but yeah. just people seem to know that um, I will generally answer the phone to people that are in a difficult position and at least try and connect them with somebody who might be able to help them more than I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of you know a nice position to be in. As I said, I had a call with somebody this morning and, and I had to say, like, I am at capacity. I cannot. I'm really sorry and I feel bad, but I can't. But I can't take this on and I, I really wish you all the best speak to this person, speak to this person. I'm going to try and connect you with a couple of lawyers. And that's about all I can do at this stage, you know, yeah. and, and that's, you know, I, but I know that, you know, I know I've, I've done what I can in that situation. So I think, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like any, any profession you don't want to take on, you know, you don't want to take on 20 new things and, and really only be able to give three of them your attention. And you then feel, inherently bad for the other 17 people who yes. said you'll help i'd rather be able to go i've got these you know i got owen's case um i do a media a similar media relations role for um the family of a of a teenager that got stabbed to death in greater manchester about a year and a half ago um and that was a similar thing where i, I there were a lot of personal aspects of that story that really i really felt mm-hmm. and um I could see that this family were getting chewed up and spat out by the media and that they were having a really difficult time. Um, and a mutual friend of mine, who's a BBC journalist said, oh, can I put you in touch with these guys? I said, yeah, I'll do what I can, you know, and that's been an ongoing relationship where I help them, you know, write press releases and, and update the media as, as to sort of what's going on with that case and generally help people. And I, I'm, I'm good for doing that. And, you know, it's not music industry related, but I don't know, I guess my, my point is this is that, yeah, if there's a way of bringing together the more like human elements of what I do in in work, it's difficult. Yeah. Is it work if you're not being paid? Yeah, I think it is. You know, but bringing that together with the music industry stuff and just generally trying to protect people and make sure that they're they're safeguarded. But I think that's yeah. the thing is that we call it the music industry, but yeah. more and more now than ever, we're not. It's not that the music industry isn't selling a product. It's selling the no. people who are creating the product. So yeah. it's not a music industry. It's definitely a people industry. Yeah, no and doubt. I think that that kind of goes beyond um, just just musicians and things like that. And I think that we've we've kind of potentially, yeah, with all that's going on at the moment, may may have lost lost sight of it a little bit. Yeah, agreed. It's all gone a bit. Yeah. 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 But then on the flip of that, I mean, you know, I think, you know, in our lifetimes, we've had Me Too, we've had Black Lives Matter again. Um, And, you know, I think it's positive that the majors have offered what they've offered in terms of financial support for Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter, particularly. Um, I do remain skeptical about how that money will be spent. And I do think that there should be some form of, you know, in my opinion, there should be some sort of independent oversight committee in respect of, you know, maybe where that money is spent. Mm-hmm. Um, I have pretty strong views about, um, you know, creating yet another set of um, entities 
with paid salaried staff to spend money on things um, in that space. And that's to be clear, again, it's not that I'm saying that I disagree with the money being spent in that space. I absolutely am for that. But what I've been saying quite publicly is that I think we have to look at who is already in that space and go, okay, can we better fund those people? Yeah. Can we better give them advice, resources, support? And maybe, not saying for sure, but maybe that money might be, some of that money might be better spent supporting organizations that already have, you know, not even their foot in the door, they are in the door. They are, they are actively in that space yeah, and they've been yeah. doing great work in that space for a number of years. So as much as I welcome, um, that, yeah, absolutely welcome the humility that we're starting to see from the music industry, you know, um, and whether that is the change, the, the very gradual change of more female positions at board level. Um, I noticed that Nadine Shah was jumping up and down on Twitter and, you know, absolutely a big Nadine Shah fan about applying for um, Crispin Hunt's position at the PPL and that she's, she's intending to do that. And I think, again, that would be an amazing um position if we could get Nadine Shah there because mm -hmm. A, I think we need more active musicians and you know gr granted Crispin Hunt is an active songwriter but to have more people like Nadine um, who is non-white and female like we need more of that fundamentally so yeah, yeah. I think we're in an interesting time um, and I think my main thing is that this is not just like everyone posting a black square and that there is actually some positive action and that people actually do pull the finger out of their ass and there is some societal and um, structural change in the music industry. And I think we might, I hope, see some of that this time around. So yeah, yeah fingers crossed. Fingers man. crossed. Thanks for chatting. That's all good, mate. We're, 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 at, we're, at the, we're at the 5 p.m. mark, so I should probably let you, let you get man. cracking on with other things. <laughs>